Hi, this is Charles Beckwith, host of the show. And uh, you're about to hear an episode that I recorded in May of 2020. And uh, this is October 2021. Uh, why didn't it go out? Well, we use uh, a recording system over the internet that's, that's not like Zoom. It's a specialized uh, platform that is supposed to record high quality audio at, at both ends of the recording, uh, kind of in the background when you, you talk to somebody. Um, so it kind of creates broadcast quality audio, or at least it's supposed to. Um, and when I did this recording, um, what I got out of it was audio files with, with very odd kind of audio qualities. And um, they were out of sync. Like we recorded four tracks of audio for four people speaking and normally they all play at the same speed and, and people are having a conversation and it sounds normal but in this case um, two of the audio tracks were just really messed up where um, different parts of the conversation were kind of scrambled together and this was May of 2021 I recorded this and, and May of 2020 when the pandemic stuff was just going nuts and I hit this problem of, of the tool that I was trying to use to do the thing that we normally do with the podcast just was not a good replacement. Um, and we have since replaced that tool with a platform called Riverside that that's a lot better, um, and a lot more intuitive and, and, um, it doesn't record audio out of sync. At least it hasn't for me yet. Uh, and we're, we're using it for our, our newer recordings, but it just became a, a case of, um, I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> just, just flat out. I, I couldn't deal with, with, um, all this stuff kind of falling apart. And, um, so this episode is, um, an interview with, uh, three people who were collaborating on getting personal protective equipment produced and, um, they were doing it in downtown Los Angeles and, uh, I thought it was a great story and I still do think it's a great story, but, um, I've had to go through and untangle the audio now that my head's in a better place and, uh, I, I hope you find it interesting. The sound is kind of nails on chalkboard for me as an audio professional, but I, I don't think it'll be so terrible for you um, that it probably doesn't inspire confidence. But um, anyway, it, it just sounds like it was re recorded remotely, which is something we try not to do. We, we try to have it sound like we're having a conversation in the same room, even if we're doing it over the internet. And uh, this did not accomplish that, I think. But um, have a listen. Uh, if you're if you don't mind reliving that part of <laughs> the, the pandemic, because um, obviously we, we recorded this with um, three professionals and, and I wanted to make sure that their story gets told, um, even though I, I feel like at this point it's a little uncomfortable to, to go back to that story. So if you feel like skipping it, uh, go ahead. Um, because we, we've got new episodes coming out and, and um, more positive stuff. I mean, this is pretty positive because they were they were helping, but it still takes you back to that place. So um, that's all I have to say. Here's the interview. This is American Fashion Podcast. I'm Charles Beckwith in New York, and I'm speaking to a couple of people across the country 
Peter Holland is the vice president of the industrial products division at Brother International Corporation, which uh, makes a lot of sewing machines. Hi, Peter. Uh, how you doing, Charles? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, we also have Allison. And Allison, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name. Most people aren't sure. <laughs> Charlumbus. Charl oh, that's a wonderful lesson. Okay. And you're the senior manager of sustainability and social responsibility at Lucky Brand. Hi, Charles. And and then we have Bobby Ahn, who's the president and CEO of New Fashion Products in Los Angeles. Hi, Bobby. Hi, Charles. So we're going to talk a little bit about PPE, the personal protective equipment that the healthcare workers need and the fashion industry is stepping up to provide. Um, so as, as you were telling me a, a moment ago, uh, Peter, you brother got connected through Brooks Brothers, through just employees who knew each other into this cycle of we got to make some stuff. Um, we got to no donate some stuff. How, how did that all come together for you? Well, once we realized what Brooks Brothers was doing, um, and then the very next day after we had, you know, our review session with them, we saw a press release on 12, as it was described, iconic apparel brands, U.S. apparel brands that had connected with the U.S. government to fast track a supply chain of masks for this pandemic that we're all um, suffering through. And so the light went off and we were like, wow, we have exactly what they need. Why don't we see if we can make a contribution? Let's put a program together and let's start contacting these companies and trying to get to decision makers so that we can make an offering to help boost the production of what they were doing. And the other part of it is putting people to work who probably would be losing their job because a lot of these factories going dark with their typical everyday manufacturing of the products that they that they manufacture and sell. So it kind of hit both sides from a humanitarian standpoint. So it was a really I thought it was a it was a great idea, great initiative and it's uh it's really proven out. Okay. So then how did Lucky Brands uh get linked yeah. in? Lucky That's is it brand or brands? Yeah, uh, just one brand. Just one brand, Lucky Brand. How it's did a, Lucky Brand get connected in? It's a Lucky Brand. That's right. Okay. So uh, lucky you. So, um, yeah, that's a great question because it was a little bit different. Uh, we saw an article in the California Apparel uh, News about Lucky Brand um, working with their strategic partners, of which New Fashion is certainly one of those strategic partners, in fast-tracking mask production, and there was a charitable component to it. And we thought, wow, why don't we contact Lucky? And we did that. We were able to get through to Allison, and then eventually we're talking to Bobby and Allison, and the uh, end result has been very, very good. So it was just kind of seeing a lead, seeing what they were doing and wanting to get involved and make a contribution. Because what we had done was we had earmarked 100 machines as a donation, let's say, um, pool of equipment, and we still had some of that equipment still available. And so what better place to go than to Lucky? Um, being such a high profile company, we, we thought that that was a great opportunity. So you made 100 industrial sewing machines available to, to Lucky to, to knock out masks? Not for Lucky, but Not for, for Lucky as a total. So we okay. were contributing 10 
20, 15. Okay. You know, depending on the size of the, or in the scale of the operation and the, and the magnitude of their production, we were trying to decide how to divvy up those units and uh, it didn't take long. It really didn't. So, and this was mostly in Los Angeles. No, actually, no. it was all over the United States. Okay, from North and South Carolina to Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, to L.A., California. Yeah, it was, it was widespread. Wow, that's quite an operation. How quickly did you get them out? I would say we were committed uh, within about five to seven business days. We had made the contacts, which weren't always so easy to do because we didn't do business and didn't have relationships with all of these companies. So we were networking our way in and trying to find the right people. So it took about seven, six, seven, seven, eight business days um, to account for all of that equipment. And what are they able to do with this specific equipment? What were you actually sending them? We're sending them um, basically our state-of-the-art, what's called um, automatic, automatic single needle machine, which requires an operator. And there's a skill level involved, but the machine is very automized and it's just the best product that we've ever produced. So it's a high speed machine for doing applications, single needle lock stitch, which a lot of the mask requires. Okay. So uh, then these products that you're making, the masks, um, are these the medical grade masks or are these for consumers? Are you making them for hospitals? Well, you understand, we're certainly not the ones actually making them. The people like New Fashion and and Lucky, they're making a mask and they have the specs on their mask. What we found is that um, it's all over the board. So with an industrial sewing machine going to an apparel company like Lucky or a company like, um, let's say, Fruit of the Loom or Sanmar, uh, for for example, um, they're making a very high quality mask, but they all have the different specs and, and I can't speak to all of that. I think maybe Bobby and Allison could speak to that in a much better way. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, what, what are you actually making? What, what's, what are you trying to fulfill right now? Yeah. So right now we're making non-medical grade masks uh, off of a, a, a spec that was provided by uh, Kaiser uh, through the city. So that was critical in getting this started because it was everybody was trying to help and make a mask, but there was no standardization or no target to hit. So once the city came out with that, then we could, you know, set up our lines, you know, know what we can output. And and, and so that was a that was a big step. And so we're making basically the Kaiser, the Kaiser mask um, for everybody. Now, I understand there's a problem with the the supply chain in terms of getting the actual the n95 material it's not coming out of china right now right so we we when we started we were looking at gowns and uh uh, this is not the n95 material it was the polypropylene um the fabric that was um it was available but then you know, it became this competition and price and access. And so we couldn't even continue the gown part of the business because there was no polypropylene. It was just disappearing right in front of us. So so that's when the mask came in and we moved over into the mask and we had the, the, the fabric available. Um, now we had a spec and then we needed we needed an outlet. Right. Um, and this is when Allison and I connected and 
she brought up a great uh, a great program idea and and uh, yeah it was just something great to participate in so that means Allison you're handling distribution <laughs> yes sourcing distribution um, uh, so essentially I think Bobby and I um, we triangulated through the uh, Mayor Garcetti's Office of Economic Development's LA Protects program, which is where I found the Kaiser Spec mask. And when I reached out to Bobby and said, hey, are you considering retooling? And Bobby's like, oh, I've already gone through a sampling process for gowns. So it was easy to download that template. And that was before, maybe two weeks before the CDC and the president said they were going to come out um, and require that everybody wear a face covering in public. So I dabbled for a half second, which was about a week in KN95s, only to find the same supply chain issues and a whole lot of counterfeit, uh, improperly labeled products that were coming in. And it is a a definite supply chain issue with that that source material. And also that those facilities need to be FDA certified and there's because they, they need to check for pressure when it comes to a great seal over the face for those particular masks. So I got out of that business really quick and then just wanted to focus on the, you know, consumer market face mask coverings and proposed internally a program to buy five, customer buys five, we donate five. Bobby was already, you know, ready to go at that point and he, and I essentially put the order with him and he pumped it out. Has this had an impact on how your supply chain team at at Lucky is thinking about going forward and having only a single source for a material or, or a good? Um, are you thinking in the future about not producing in just one country, not one region? Um, is that already becoming part of your strategy because of this situation? Uh, I think I sit quite separately from the main production team that does the apparel side and just work directly with Bobby. But I, but my boss, who's a, a longtime colleague of Bobby's, Amy Leonard, the SVP of sourcing at Lucky Brand, said to keep it with Bobby, not just be, because, you know, mainly because Bobby's Bobby is a trusted supplier. And in an era like this, when you just don't know, we need to be able to understand the product we're putting out is quality because, you know, it goes straight to the DC that we can, that they're a reliable factory that's going to meet demand. But also because, um, it's domestic. So it's just so much faster. And because we have a separate relationship with our foreign factories, he and I kept it close to get it to our domestic DC much quicker. I was actually referring to the N95 material and the the polypropylene material not being able to get it, planning ahead and having more than one source for everything that you're going to make. Sure. So to clarify, we are no longer dealing in N95s at all. Uh, that was, and anyways, that was a purchase for donation. Um, we are only dealing in cloth face coverings, right? And so, it, you know, this is that's an error that we decided just to leave to people who source medical equipment, medical materials, protective equipment, um, and we're just sticking with consumer face coverings, cloth. But we have found that the supply chain is a lot quicker and shorter if it's just domestic in LA, LA source fabric that may not originate in the US, but what's available now because in crisis times, it's just, we need to move fast. And sometimes somebody needs to drive something from our office in Arts District Los Angeles straight to Bobby's uh, factory, like, I don't know, three miles away and and it's done. And that that's the beauty of a short supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, um, do all of you think this is a, a kind of big boost for Made in USA and and as brands think about what they're going to do in the future, how? I mean, brother, aren't aren't all of your products manufactured in China? 
when you make sewing machines? Aren't they made there? They they are mostly our factories are in China. We have one in Vietnam. Uh, we do have a fact. We have a factory in in Japan that makes our uh, DTG machine, which is a digital garment printer. That's for a different segment of the apparel industry. But for the most part, industrial sewing machines are being made in China and Vietnam. Um, as far as brothers concerned, you know, if I could speak to made in the USA, I think that we would all love to see a rebirth of made in the USA. No question about it in every facet of our industry. But I think one of the biggest one of the, one of the challenges is a workforce, a skilled workforce. At one time, we had back in the eighties and nineties, we had a uh, we we had a tremendous amount of skilled labor for the apparel industry. And today, because of the trend sourcing outside of the U.S., that that uh, that workforce has dried up to a great extent. So that is one of the challenges. Because as an ideal. Made in the USA sounds great, and if we can do things in a more efficient way, in a better way, in a more automated way, it makes sense. So that initiative is always there, uh, Charles. Uh, that's my kind of view of it. I'm really curious how Bobby and Allison uh, see that same question. Yeah, uh, you know, I've been, you know, trying to keep our Los Angeles facility full for the past 20 years, and so we've seen uh what um you know what the market does and you know more affordable pricing um you know globalization um and i get it i get it um you know we've kind of converted our factory to more of a specialized small batch um you know equity building type product and that's and that's worked out but um you know the industry at this point has suffered so much that not only is it a labor issue, there's an infrastructure issue. Um, you know, where do I get buttons and rivets from? Where do I get zippers from? Where do I get fabric from? Um, I think, you know, there are a couple denim mills here in the U.S., maybe two or three. And I think they're making, you know, commodity, uh, maybe even government contract work. So, you know, if there is, uh, I think there's a political will to bring things back here. Uh, I wonder if there's a, a, a consumer uh, commitment to bring it back here, um, but it's going to be it's going to take a long time. It, it, it's you know maybe this is the event where people do reassess um, you know how and what they purchase, and if there is a a commitment to um, producing in this country with the quarantine in effect and and the slowdown of everything. We've seen pollution go down, and and we've seen a, a lot of effects of of this situation that that have given people a different perspective. Do you see change that that's going to come about for sustainability and responsibility in the future? Uh, as things reopen, do you think things will be different in in a new way because of this? I think the sustainability conversation is tough at this time because what exactly does it mean when we're so focused on keeping people healthy, right? Um, I think what Bobby said rings true in the sense is con our consumers going to support made in the USA and sustainability is the same thing. What that means is, are you going to pay more money for a product that's either has low environmental impact or higher quality made in your home country, right? Um, 
And on the Made in the USA side, I would say that I think it's given us a lot of pride to be able to put product in an LA factory, LA made, right? under the LA Protects program and for customers to know that that was made domestically, which meant that people who might've been your neighbors or family members who got laid furloughed, right? And then the next day, next week came back and actually had their job back. There is a sense of pride in purchasing that product. And since we have the buy five, donate five, when we donated the other five masks, right? That a customer purchased two community partners in the LA area, they were so surprised and so happy to receive an LA made mask. You know, they were just, they were expecting us to dump some other cheap product on them because it was a donation component. They were just extra excited that, that that meant that somebody had a job based on this. So I think it's too early to tell exactly what sustainability means nowadays, you know, despite the fact that we're all walking more and the pollution's less and we're seeing that we can have a smaller footprint. But I don't know if our heads are there yet to start talking about that when we're still like in yeah, I I keep hearing the question. I jump on a lot of webinars and people ask the question but they don't have an answer for it. So so I keep asking the question as well, wondering if at some point someone will have an answer for that, but not not yet. I think n nobody can quite see it yet, I think. Yeah, I think the only clarity I have so far is that the COVID-19 crisis is really an argument for um buying local shopping local, keeping it local, supporting your neighbors, right? Supporting your, thanking your Trader Joe's um, cashier who's, you know, risking their life to bag your groceries and my wine, right? I think it's it's a very local argument, which is a sustainability argument. Yeah, local is sustainable. We, we've been saying that for years on this show. Peter, can you tell us anything about uh, what Brothers Building in terms of uh, new tools for the, the fashion industry? Um, I know people don't get excited enough about sewing machines and, and you make some cool stuff. What, what's the, what are the coolest things you're making right now? Well, um, with respect to sewing, um, we actually, or, or any, any production in okay, this area. I'll talk about real what, quick. What, uh, what's going to make Bobby excited? What's going to make Bobby <laughs> excited? Maybe an automated uh, mask production line that basically takes the fabric the thread or the cording and what have you, uh, the wires off a roll, cuts it, folds it, sews it, and produces a finished mask. We have that product now. So we fast-tracked the final development of that with a partner of ours, a technology company uh, that we work with. And so there is a system that we're now talking to various companies about. And, and that's a serious consideration because it seems that mass production is here to stay good or bad. It just the reality of it. So people have confidence to make those type of investments uh, since the work is going to be there and the demand will be there. So that's on the industrial sewing machine side. Um, from a, uh, a garment printer side, uh, we're getting into more high production uh, t-shirt printing, digital t-shirt printing. And that's a growing business for us. And it's very exciting. And um, my group, the group I'm responsible for, that comes under our umbrella, and, and that's an ever-evolving space. Digital personalization is basically insatiable in this country. Everyone wants everything personalized, and we have the tools to do that. So that's been a really nice thing. From a home office, small office perspective, uh, Brother has outfitted our own working 
employee staff uh, so that they can work from home effectively. And we've also created a hub for content and information for people who are trying to get set up at home, get a printer connected, what have you. And we have a hotline to help people do that. And of course, we put them in in terms of uh, our own products in touch with solutions we have for the home office, small office, which is really a big niche, a big part of what our company does. And then we have home sewing machines, which have connected uh, with com- with people like Aaron Roberts. Aaron Roberts is a former Project Runway winner who has all these followers, and we've donated home sewing machines to her that have been dispersed out to her followers who are making masks at home for their local community and giving them away to churches and institutional type stuff. So we found a number of ways to contribute into the pandemic and trying to keep everybody safe and uh, make this as plausible and uh, comfortable as possible. So I think that Brother is a company that really looks for opportunities in the community to make a contribution, whether it be Earth Day, planting trees in the community, or cleaning beaches in California uh, would be another example, um, or blood drive, or supporting uh, the the local uh, cancer society. We have a variety of things that we're doing kind of continuously as a company in an altruistic way. And I think it speaks a lot to the type of company that Brother really is when it comes to humanitarian and being part of the community. So the contribution we made in terms of the sewing machines for what Bobby and and Allison are speaking to uh, was just such a great opportunity because we had the ideal product and we wanted to make a contribution. So outside of anything that we might not have to sign an NDA for, I can't really think <laughs> too much, but I will say this, that we're constantly moving forward. We're t- looking for new ways to make a, make products that make people's lives better. And uh, I think um, the, we have a very bright future as a company. There's a couple of companies um, I've been following that, um, they're platforms where you go into this website and you upload your tech pack or you upload sketches, you work with a technical designer, and then they distribute it out to manufacturers. And it's all this digital system where there's, it's like trouble tickets for software development, only they're using it for clothing development. And it's this whole flow of electronic information um, where maybe the sample isn't even made. They, they render it in 3D and, and the customer doesn't even see a photographed sample. They see a 3D model of the sample. And so then they take pre-orders and um, all of that stuff is kind of coming together um, and you're you're making the sewing machines kind of smarter. I mean, they're, they're not smarter, but they're they're more wired. They can they can be talked to more, yes, right? Absolutely. And I think what you're talking about, which I'd be really interested to see if Allison has a take on that, um, is something that's been in development for many many years in terms of being able to buy a piece of apparel, a piece of clothing, online in a virtual way where you're kind of controlling the measurements or the, or the software is actually measuring your body and you get something really customized for you. It could be the future. I'm sure it will be part of the future. Um, but companies like Lucky, I'm sure, are trying to figure out how they're going to recreate their business. We're all challenged in different ways. Yeah. Allison, do you have a take on that? What What are your thoughts on the future of this connected world for, for fashion designers and manufacturers? 
Well, I know the, the discussion of, um, of 3D tech packs and, and sampling online as opposed to getting a physical sample were all in the works before the crisis. But because sustainable changes are really institutional, it's sometimes hard to change get the animal to change right we didn't we didn't want to make the change but this is definitely accelerating that process because there's just no choice so i i, I imagine our trading agents factories and tech team and designers are flexing to try and use this type of software at this time so that they can still continue to design. okay well uh Bobby and Allison and Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk to me today. This has been an interesting conversation, and and I hope hope we can check back in with you as as this progresses. Uh, and hopefully, this whole situation doesn't last that much longer. Good lord! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking the time, Charles. Charles, thank you. Thank you, Charles. Thank you for listening to American Fashion Podcast. AmericanFashionPodcast.com is our website. You can access over 250 previous episodes by subscribing to our archive on the website. There is also a Be a Guest form on the site where you can reach out to us about being a guest on the show. On Twitter, we're at AFPOD, and on Instagram, we're at American Fashion Show. If you particularly like an episode, please give us a shout out and tag us on social media. Our voicemail line is 646-979-8709, or you can email info at AmericanFashionPodcast.com. But again, if you want to be a guest on the show, please use the Be a Guest form on the website. American Fashion Podcast is produced by Mouth Media Network, audio for business. If your company or organization needs a podcast, reach out to Mouth Media Network podcasts at mouthmedianetwork.com. This and all other episodes are copyrighted by Mouth Media Network, all rights reserved. Subsist, friends. Keep making things beautiful. Remain in force. And we'll talk to you again next week.